Ready? Our evening began in Peter Seychelles' comfortable study in his New York townhouse. Hello, everybody. My name is Jim Shear, and welcome to the official, uh, unofficial Beastie Boys podcast known as the Brouhaha. And ooh, we've got a good episode for you today. A very special episode. Today on the Brouhaha, we are celebrating 30 years of Check Your Head. Now, if you know me, I'm all about the silver anniversary. I wanted to do a silver anniversary for Check Your Head. Didn't get to it. So I had to wait five years for the 30th anniversary of Check Your Head. So before we begin, let me just put things into perspective for you. So back in 1992, when Check Your Head came out, 30 years before that was 1962. So if you were listening to a podcast back in 1992, and I know they didn't have podcasts back then, but guess what? We had talk radio back then. So if you were listening to talk radio that was celebrating a 30th anniversary of an album, it would have come out in 1962. Let me just give you a quick example. Sam Cooke's Twistin' the Night Away album came out in 1962. And here we are, celebrating the 30th anniversary of Check Your Head. And Twisting the Night Away from Sam Cooke, that album is now 60 years old. So if I just made you feel old, it's because you are old. But here's the thing, when I listen back to check your head, and I've been listening to it a lot in preparation for this episode, to me, it doesn't sound dated. Maybe I'm blinded by my beastie fandom, but if you played this for someone in a vacuum and told them, hey, what year do you think this album came out? I think it would be tough to put a finger on it. Let me just play you a couple of songs that were popular in 1992. These songs charted in 1992, and these songs, I think, and no diss to these songs, but they sound like they come from a certain time. So here's one that charted in 1992, Let's Get Rocked, from Def Leppard. Right? Like, that song... Sounds like it came from a certain era. It sounds like leftovers from the 1980s that was released in the early 1990s. Here's another one. And once again, no diss to these songs, but you hear them on the radio and you can kind of pinpoint when they were released. This also charted in 1992. Tell me what you want me to do from Tevin Campbell. So tell me what you want me 
It's a nice song, but you know, it reminds me of slow dancing, whether it be at a school dance or an all-ages club. It has a timestamp on it, right? Let me play you one more. This also charted in 1992, finally from C.C. Peniston. Great song, and I do understand that sounds come back. Over the last decade, I've heard a bunch of songs like this. However, when a new artist makes a song that sounds like this, people will automatically timestamp it. They'll say, you know what? That sounds like a a C.C. Peniston song from 1992. But to me, and once again, maybe I'm blinded by my fandom, I think Check Your Head is a timeless album doesn't necessarily sound like it came out in 1992. So anyway, let's talk about where the Beastie Boys were at in the early 90s. So in 1989, they put out their sophomore album, Paul's Boutique, which at the time was considered a flop. Yeah, it flopped so hard, the Beastie Boys didn't even tour off of it. Now here's the thing, the Beastie Boys were signed to a record deal So even though Paul's Boutique flopped, they were still going to make another album. But this is where I think things are interesting. What if Check Your Head flopped? Would that be it for the Beastie Boys? Like, would Capital drop them? And then, you know, I think the Beastie Boys would have still worked in music in some type of capacity. You know, Mike D, maybe he starts a record label. MCA, you could see him running a studio. Maybe he starts Oscilloscope Laboratories a lot sooner. And then, you know, maybe Ad-Rock bounces around from band to band and he produces too. But I think Check Your Head is do or die for the Beastie Boys. Because if it flops, then they're thought of as sort of a novelty act from the 1980s. Destined to play state fairs and nostalgia tours. So I think, and maybe I'm wrong, if Check Your Head flops, the Beastie Boys stay in music, but they kind of shuffle off behind the scenes. So any way you chop it up, Check Your Head is a crucially important album from the Beastie Boys. So while they were making Paul's Boutique, their sophomore album, remember they had the the big party on the Capitol building. Capitol was so happy to get the Beastie Boys from Def Jam. And then the album flopped and people lost their jobs. And now they're not so excited about the Beastie Boys. But the Beastie Boys are spending a ton of money on Paul's Boutique. And with the knowledge we have now, they didn't need to spend that money. Matt Dyke even said that Paul's Boutique would have sounded better if it was just recorded in his apartment. And now everybody records in their apartments, in their bedrooms. Billie Eilish has won Grammys off of songs recorded in her bedroom. But the Beastie Boys were not operating like that in the late 1980s. They rented out the record plant. They would bring in Parisian rugs, catering, arcade games. They spent a shit ton of money. So when making the follow-up to Paul's Boutique, the Beastie Boys thought to themselves, well... What if instead of renting a studio, we just made our own studio? Think about it. We wouldn't have to look at the clock and pay hour by hour. We could have our equipment set up. 
and we could come and go as we please. So Mike D and Mario C, they get a tip that there's a studio slash ballroom in Atwater Village, California. So they check it out. It looks good. And that becomes the Beastie Boys brand new home base, G-Sun Studios in Atwater Village, California. There is a sign above G-Sun. And I've never been to Atwater Village, California. So I don't know if it's like a strip mall or a shopping center. But there's a nearby sign that says Gelson Plumbing. The E and the L are faded. So all you see is G-Sun and Mike D christens it G-Sun Studios. And this would be the Beastie Boys Clubhouse. Now we have to mention, have to mention Money Mark Nishida. He is the special sauce behind Check Your Head. Not only on keys, not only helping the Beastie Boys put together songs, but he's also a carpenter. So he's helping the Beastie Boys build their new studio, which is now equipped with a skateboarding half pipe and a basketball half court. So if I went through this whole 30th anniversary episode of Check Your Head without mentioning Money Mark, mm, shame on me. So I'm saying it right here. Money Mark, the special sauce behind Check Your Head. So remember how I said earlier, Check Your Head is a crucially important album for the Beastie Boys? It is. But on the other hand, if you think about it, the pressure is off in a way. The Beastie Boys are no longer the priority of Capitol Records. They've sort of been pushed off to the kids' table. Like, eh, why don't you sit over there while we pay attention to this artist right here, our number one artist, MC Hammer. You can't touch this. Why you standing there, man? You can't touch this. Yo, sound the bell. School is in, sucker. You can't touch this. Now, this makes sense. Hammer is the biggest artist in the world in the early 1990s. However, you know, as they say, hindsight is 2020. Hammer had a moment. The Beastie Boys had a Hall of Fame career. So besides putting energy and focus into Hammer, Capitol Records also putting a lot of muscle into the comeback of this artist right here, Donny Osmond. Once again, hindsight is 2020. Soldier of Love, a fine pop song for the moment. Paul's Boutique, which Capitol gave up on, is now considered one of the greatest albums of all time. Quick little side note, which I probably shouldn't do because this is going to be a really long episode, but I'm also a fan of Billy Squire. He is also part of Capitol Records at this time, and he too is kind of pushed to the side. A lot of people think the end of his career was the Rock Me Tonight music video. I disagree. He could have got a push here, but Capitol, like I said, putting all their eggs into the baskets of Hammer and Donny Osmond. All right, let's continue. So BC Boys studio album number three they decide to pick up their instruments again. Now, I have thought this my whole life. And if you read the Beastie Boys book, I think they think it too. 
that Check Your Head was a drastic flipping of the script from Paul's Boutique. You know, because when Beastie Boys fans get together, we talk about the first three albums. License to Ill is the classic. And then when they put out Paul's Boutique, they totally flipped the script. It was a massive left turn. And then when the Beastie Boys put out their third album, they totally flipped the script. It was a massive left turn. After analyzing things, I think Check Your Head is a logical progression coming off of Paul's Boutique. And let me explain why. It totally fits into the Beastie Boys' M.O. So the Beastie Boys are hanging out with Matt Dyke and the Dust Brothers, and they're almost getting an apprenticeship on sampling. Not only that, but they're being introduced to a lot of cool music. Or maybe they're being reintroduced to a lot of music from their youth. So at this point in time, the Beastie Boys are digging those old school funk, soul, and jazz albums. So when the Beastie Boys like something, what do they always do? They try to make it themselves. But because they're New York kids, they can never fully gush about it. They almost have to make fun of it. So let's go back in time. 1980s. Beastie Boys love reggae. They get some studio time and they put together the song Beastie Revolution. It's a goof on reggae, yet at the same time, it's the Beastie Boys paying tribute to reggae. So in the same session, and you know the Beastie Boys, they love their hip-hop, they put together the hip-hop track, Cookie Puss. A cookie puss? Hey! Maybe I should scratch. Is it a goof? Yes, but... It's also the Beastie Boys attempting to make a hip-hop song. And one could even argue that Cookie Puss is the reason the Beastie Boys got into hip-hop. And I didn't even take it back to the genesis of the Beastie Boys. The Beastie Boys are into punk rock, so what do they do? They start their own punk rock band. And a lot of people in New York City thought they were goofing on hardcore and punk rock. And yes, maybe the Beastie Boys were, but as we find out later in their career, when the Beastie Boys goof on something, it means that they really like it. And I think in the documentary, Ad-Rock compares it to pizza. He's like, yeah, like pizza's really good, but you know, we're cool kids from New York, so we just can't come out and say it. So let's fast forward to the early 1990s. Beastie Boys are playing their instruments again. And the Beasties are different musicians than they were a decade ago. So yes, you could say A Grade on Mojo is a silly punk rock song. Beastie Revolution is a silly reggae song. Cookie Puss is a silly hip-hop song. But now when the Beastie Boys want to emulate these funk and soul records they're listening to, they're a little more accomplished. So it doesn't come off as such a goof anymore. Now, I'm not saying that the Beastie Boys are the Ohio players, but the Beastie Boys attempting to play funk and soul in the early 90s sounds a lot better than if the Beastie Boys were attempting to do that in 1981. And I don't think the Beastie Boys attempt to play funk and soul without that time spent with Matt Dyke and the Dust Brothers. 
So think about it for a second. The Beastie Boys are energized to play on their instruments again, energized about different genres of music, and they also have that sampling education on their time spent working on Paul's Boutique. And I've said it many times on this podcast. I love, 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 love Paul's Boutique. But to me, it didn't feel like a Beastie Boys album. It felt like a collaboration album between the Beastie Boys, the Dust Brothers, and Matt Dyke. And maybe that's why I love Check Your Head so much, because it is such a Beastie Boys album, and it laid the foundation for what they would become for the rest of their career. Now, even though the Beastie Boys have this new direction, they're excited to play their instruments again. They got a studio. It's, it's not all necessarily clicking. There's talk early on that they're going to put together an all-instrumental album. Imagine if that happened. Uh, the Beastie Boys couldn't have survived. Coming off of Paul's Boutique, which was a flop, and then putting out an all-instrumental album? It wouldn't have worked. I believe that was MCA's vision, and Ad-Rock and Mike D talked him out of it. So the Beastie Boys are piecing together their new album, and then they receive word back in New York City that their close friend Dave Skilkin died. If you watch the Beastie Boys documentary, Dave's death sort of put everything into perspective for the Beastie Boys. It was a wake-up call for them. And if you read issue two of Grand Royal Magazine, Mario C. talks about the making of Check Your Head and how Dave's death affected it. So I'll, I'll read the whole blurb right here. He says, We had a bunch of music, and now we needed to get some lyrics happening. So we took a retreat. We went up the coast somewhere, rented a house for a week, and we were just going to write lyrics. That way, no one would have any distractions. That was the excuse. Some lyrics came together for The Maestro, which is a playing song, and I think some lyrics for Something's Gotta Give. We were basically just getting stoned and listening to tapes and fucking around. It was loose, real loose. We were there for a while and then decided to go to another place and there was no phone. We were like, fuck it, we're not getting anything done. So we go to this other place, this log cabin up some crazy mountain, and we get to the house and there's no fucking telephone, no nothing, and I looked around like, this is kind of cool, you know? And the kid was like, I ain't with it. There's no phone. So we said, fuck it, let's just go to Frisco. So we go to Frisco, check into some hotel, and now we're in the city again, and it was like, we're probably not going to get a lot done, but we would still say, let's get together in so-and-so's room with the four-track. We were playing shit back, just trying to listen to it, and started getting complaints. The hotel manager was like, you guys have to turn it down. So we didn't really get much done. So we went out record shopping and saw Les McCann do a show. And then that night, or the following night, we got a phone call. Their boy Dave Skilkin had died, and that just changed the whole mood. We had to come back home, and those guys went to New York, and everyone was freaked out. Dave was somebody really close to them. After that, when they came back from New York... They knew they had something to do, and the work got real focused. Shit was heavy. We had a purpose and meaning and started knocking shit out. And to me, and once again, I'm just a, a fan from the outside looking in, but to me, this situation is summed up in the Beastie Boys song, Gratitude. Gratitude. 
Right? Doesn't that song say it all? I've had some really good friends pass away, and it's terribly sad, and you always ask why. But in the end, I think the best thing you can do is to be grateful for all of those moments you shared with each other. Like, those good memories will give you the juice to move on. All right. So, and by the way, this is going to be a really long episode. I'm celebrating not only my favorite Beastie Boys album, but my favorite album of all time. So let's take a quick water break. And when we come back, I will talk about the album artwork for Check Your Head. Must be talking about grunge. <laughs> we are back on the brouhaha celebrating 30 years of Check Your Head. Let's talk about album artwork. So, not only is Check Your Head my favorite Beastie Boys album, my favorite album of all time, it's also my favorite album cover of all time. Looks good on t-shirts, stickers, posters, patches. This year, I even got a Check Your Head Christmas ornament. So let me read you an excerpt from Alan Light's Beastie Boys book, The Skills to Pay the Bills. This is a uh, oral history of the Beastie Boys. Here we go. Oh, and something I forgot to mention when I was talking about Check Your Head being a logical transition for the Beastie Boys after Paul's Boutique In Alan Light's book, Mike Simpson is interviewed, and he says, when Check Your Head was done, we helped them edit the record. So there you go. Check Your Head, not such a drastic left turn from Paul's Boutique after all. But back to album artwork. This is from Mario Caldado Jr. Trying to come up with ideas, we'd make mock-up covers, and at that time, the Gulf War was going on. And they had these cards, bubblegum cards of generals from the war. Adam bought one and brought it to the studio like, this is crazy. We were checking it out and fucking around and put a check on his head and drew a little Hitler mustache on the guy. We were like, yo, check this out for an album cover. And we all called that shit Checkhead. Then Mark saw it and said, no, you should call that shit Check Your Head. So not only is Money Mark providing keys for the Beastie Boys and helping them build their studio, he comes up with the album title. And we were like, ah, that's kind of cool. They sent it to Capitol to get approved, but they couldn't get approval from the government or the general because they defaced it. So then Glennie Friedman comes in. And once again, this is all discussed on an episode of The Brouhaha. Glenn Friedman is in California visiting his mom over Thanksgiving break in November of 1991. So in the book, Glenn says, I said, what do you guys got for the album cover? And they told me what they had. And I said, why don't we just hang out one day and just take some photos like the old days? We just got in the van one day. I was getting on a plane, I think, later that night. We just hung out and took photos the whole day. We had a great time. One of the ideas they had was to recreate the Minor Threat Salad Day shot, and I knew as soon as I shot that photo of them on the sidewalk, that was their version of Salad Days. I only shot three frames, 
It was actually on the first roll we shot that day. I knew that we had gotten it. I didn't know if they were going to use it for a cover later on. But yeah, we shot a lot of really good, fun stuff. All those poster shots of them with their sneakers really big. Shots that were used in my book. Pictures of them down in Santa Monica on the beach again. Like the old days. So there you go. That's how it came about. And Glenn did tell me that because the Beastie Boys were playing their instruments again, he wanted to capture that vibe of a young band going off to practice. So that's why on the cover of Check Your Head, Ad-Rock has his guitar, MCA has his bass, and Mike D, no, he doesn't have a drum kit. That might look awkward on an album cover, but in that brown bag, there are drumsticks representing Mike D's drums. So that is the story of the cover photo. And if you want more detailed information, may I suggest listening to the episode of The Brouhaha featuring Glennie Friedman. We also have to talk about the collage within Check Your Head that has all of those pictures. This is a real collage. Years ago, we had Money Mark's brother, Mike, on The Brouhaha, and he told us who has that picture. I don't know if Mark has it or if he has it or if it's hanging in some studio, but that is a legit collage that is framed. Uh, And oh, did you know, because if you flip over the liner notes, which I'm holding in my hands right now, on the CD version of Check Your Head, the Beastie Boys are jamming out and Mike D is wearing a sock cap. However, if you take out the cassette liner notes, Beastie Boys still jamming out, Mike D wearing a baseball cap. So my question is, why did they use different pictures? Was it an Easter egg? Was it a a layout kind of thing? I don't know. Now I want to talk about the font for Check Your Head. My favorite Beastie font and logo of all time. You should know that the Beastie Boys for each new studio album would create a new font. And I was secretly hoping that they would just keep this font forever. Because it's my favorite. Created by Eric Hayes. Now, Eric Hayes was supposed to have, I think, the album cover for Paul's Boutique before they decided on that panoramic shot. So he created an album cover for the Beastie Boys. It didn't end up being the album cover. But I like that for this time around, his font is included all over the album. Like it's on the cover, Beastie Boys, Check Your Head. He handwrites all the liner notes. He handwrites the track listing. And oh, by the way, this is not like Photoshop or Illustrator. I went to Beyond the Streets in Brooklyn a couple of years ago when they had an entire Beastie Boys wing and all of Hayes' notes were displayed in a plastic cabinet. So he wrote out, Jimmy James, Funky Boss, Pass the Mic, Beastie Boys wrote that out a whole bunch of different times. Check Your Head wrote that out a whole bunch of different times. Because some of you may remember that on Beastie Boys stickers in the early 90s, sometimes the Beastie Boys font was a little bit different than the one you saw on the album cover for Check Your Head. And that's because Hayes gave the Beastie Boys a ton of different options. And I was amazed peering into this plastic case just seeing the pages and pages of tags and titles. Because if you're into art, you know that Hayes, I mean, his font 
is unlike any other. He could write the word poop on a canvas and someone would buy it for $3,000. So I love, 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 love the font work on Check Your Head. Best Beastie Boys logo ever, in my opinion. And I also like how everything is coded on the back. You know, there's the check for the Beastie Boys, the plus for the songs that Money Mark is featured, the dollar bill for Beastie Boys and Mario C, the star for Beastie Boys and Money Mark, the triangle for Beastie Boys, Mario C, and Money Mark. There's a circle, a heart, an X, a square. So it was fun listening to the album as a teenager, and you're like, all right, uh, dollar bill, that is Beastie Boys and Mario C. All right, plus, oh, that one's just Money Mark. Dollar bill, dollar bill, Beastie Boys and Mario C. So it's all laid out for you in the artwork. All right, so there you go. I explained how Glennie Friedman took the cover shot. We talked about Hayes's font work. We talked about the collage. Let's take another break. And before we listen to Check Your Head, that's right, I'm going to break down each track. Before we do that, when we come back on the brouhaha, for the first time ever, I'm going to reveal my three darkest Check Your Head secrets. Hostile. It's like a mainly a ska style, hot sauce style. Yeah, um, with a little bit of salsa, hip hop flavor, uh, bossa nova in there, right? Little Legion blue. Yeah, we got some hardcore flavor thrown in there. Some little punk rock rhyming skills. Little um, kung fu trampoline style. Yeah, and uh, just a little bit of South Caribbean, North African, West Cuban, uh, New York style. At one village style skills, basically. Skills style. Yeah, all the skills. Yo, check this out, my man. You're listening to the Brew Haha. All right. We are back on the Brew Haha, celebrating the 30th anniversary of Check Your Head. And in a bit, I'm going to break down each song. Now, I'm not going to play the entire album. I'll say, hey, track one, Jimmy James. I'll give you some info on it, and then we'll go to the next track. So, before we do that, I wanted to clean up my closet and reveal three of my darkest secrets about Check Your Head. And for years, well, I guess forever, for my entire life, I've never told anyone any of these secrets. And I was embarrassed to. Like when I started this podcast 10 years ago, I would have never said any of these things. But you know what? I will reveal these secrets today. So here we go. My three darkest check your head secrets. My three darkest check your head secrets. Secret number one. 30 years of check your head. I'm going to unleash my demons. Now, my high school homie, my high school buddy, Tom Apt, is part of two of these secrets. And sadly, Tom Apt passed away a few years ago. But Tom, so cool in high school. And I was such a nerd. So if anyone in high school thought I was cool, it was only because of Tom Apt. Now, you could talk to people I went to high school with. 
And they would say, what are you talking about? Jim would throw rap concerts in the hallway and he created his own sport called hall diving and he was in the talent show and he announced basketball and football games. Yes, all, all of that is true. Without being too cocky or arrogant, I think looking back, I was a cool kid my senior year of high school. Freshman, sophomore, junior year, total nerd. Although maybe I shouldn't say nerd because that implies that you're smart. I was not very smart in high school. I was a a B or C student. And I did go out from time to time. But for the most part, from my freshman through junior years of school, I could be found in my living room on weekends drawing pictures of sports players while watching Nick at night. All right, so let's go to 1992. It's my second year of working at McDonald's, and Tom Apt starts working at McDonald's. Tom Apt is a skater, so he's hanging out with the whole skater crew, and they just look so cool. Their sneakers, their baggy jeans, their baseball caps, their oversized t-shirts. I just wanted to be one of those skaters. No, I never skated because at that point in my life, I had broken my collarbone four times. So you do the math. It doesn't make a lot of sense for me to be a skateboarder in 1992. So most of you know my Beastie Boys origin story. I fell in love with So What You Want, and then I became the biggest Beastie Boys fan ever. So it's been documented in many an episode of The Brouhaha, so we don't have to go into that today. So one day, I'm working at McDonald's, and I'm raving about So What You Want. I'm raving about the Beastie Boys, and Tom yells back to me because he was working front counter. I was in the grill area. He said, Jim, like I have. Check your head. I'll just lend it to you. And I said, whoa, really? He's like, yeah, like I'll, I'll bring it in tomorrow. So the next day, Tom brings me Check Your Head. I take it home. Now, looking back, why didn't I just buy Check Your Head? But I'm I'm trying to put myself in my 17-year-old mind. I only knew the one song. Now, I knew that the Beastie Boys had Fight for Your Right to Party and Girls and all that. Like, I was familiar with the License to Ill stuff. But I, I don't know why I didn't buy Check Your Head. I only knew So What You Want. $10 was a lot of money back then. I think at the time I was making $3.75 an hour. So maybe I just needed to learn a little bit more about the Beastie Boys. Because my rule of thumb in high school and in college is if a group or a music act puts out three really good songs, then I buy the album. And sometimes they would put out two really good songs, and I would buy the album. But I would never buy the album if they just put out one really good song. So I guess I was a a little bit skeptical. I didn't want to part with that $10 just yet. So I get Check Your Head from Tom. I go home, and I listen to it. And I love the hip-hop songs. The instrumental songs? Not so much. So here is Check Your Head, Dark Secret, number one. When I dubbed Check Your Head, I did not dub the instrumentals. I don't know. It sounded like 70s music. I was like, I don't know. This makes me feel weird. I don't want 70s music. These hip-hop songs are really good, but I don't need to dub Groove Holmes or Namaste. So first go-around, 
I did not dub the instrumentals. Yeah. All right. Let's go on to Dark Secret number two. Back to Tom Apt, who was so freaking cool with the style and just the way he carried himself. I remember one day Tom Apt came up to me and he proudly exclaimed, you know what? I could go out with any girl I wanted. And it wasn't like he was being cocky. He was just confident. And it wasn't like Tom Apt was this extremely handsome young man. I would put Tom Apt in the same lane as Woody Harrelson. So he didn't have those pinup good looks, but he was so confident, he knew that he could go out with any girl he wanted. So senior year of high school, Tom Apt starts hanging out with my girlfriend. They would go downtown together. She would come back. Oh, me and Tom had so much fun. So I'm an 18-year-old kid, and I'm getting a little jealous. I'm feeling insecure. I think to myself, I'm not as cool as Tom Apt. If he could go out with any girl he wanted, who's to say he's not going out with my girlfriend? Now, of course, I didn't say anything to Tom. <laughs> we were still friends. We were still hanging out. That, that would have been a good conversation to have, right? Never opened my mouth. And it was around this time that I noticed that Tom Apt's appreciation for the Beastie Boys started to wane. And that bugged me. Because in my sick mind, I thought everyone had to think that the Beastie Boys were the greatest band ever. And in my head, I thought, come on, Tom, like, the Beastie Boys are great. I mean, you, you let me borrow, check your head. So what I did, and I, I am not proud of it, I cooked up a little plan. And I know why I cooked up the plan. Part of it was jealousy. I was mad that he was hanging out with my girlfriend, afraid that he might steal my girlfriend. And then I was also upset that he wasn't as big of a Beastie Boys fan as me. I, I needed a Beastie ally. So one day I asked to borrow his Check Your Head cassette again. And I said to myself as he handed it over, I am not going to give it back to you unless you ask for it back. And another layer to this is at this point in time, the Beastie Boys are my favorite band of all time. And that would never, ever change from that point on. And I wanted a little memento. I thought, I want this copy of Check Your Head. Because on this cassette tape, this one right here, that's where I heard Check Your Head for the very first time. So I wanted it merely as a trophy for myself. How sick is that? I'm collecting personal souvenirs now with a little vendetta attached. So I borrowed Check Your Head, and my hunch was correct. Tom Apt never asked for it back. And what's even more sickening is that I remember I would collect change in a Hawaiian punch jug, and I counted out like $10 worth of pennies and dimes and nickels, and I went to the record store, I think early 94, and I bought my own copy of Check Your Head. So now I have two copies of Check Your Head, the one that I purchased with my own money and the one that I basically stole from Tom. 
Now, I don't know if this makes matters better or worse, but I went off to college in 94, came back on a break, was hanging out with Tom, and excitedly said, Tom, did you listen to the new Beastie Boys album, Ill Communication? And he says, no, I didn't even know they put out a new album. And I'm like, ah, you got to hear it. So I shove it into the cassette deck. Sure Shot comes on and I'm waiting for Tom to lose his mind. And he's kind of like, ah. And the only thing he says, he giggles a little bit and he's like, huh, they mentioned you who. And that was it. That was his only impression. And at that time in 94, while I'm in my car with Tom, I said to myself, yeah. You don't deserve check your head back because you don't even care about the Beastie Boys now. So there you go. That was dark secret number two. Now it's time for dark secret number three. And this could ruin me as a Beastie Boys fan. You You may end the podcast before we go into the breakdown of each track. Dark secret number three. 1992. Keep in mind, I haven't seen So What You Want yet, so I have not fallen in love with the Beastie Boys. I know of the Beastie Boys. Fight for Your Right to Party was always fun to listen to at grade school skating parties. So in 92, I'm watching a lot of MTV. Somehow I missed Past the Mic. I never saw that music video. So it was one of those MTV news blurbs. I don't know if it was the hourly one or from The Week in Rock. But they talked about the Beastie Boys coming back. And Paco, a couple of episodes ago, said it the best. He said, when Check Your Head came out, it's the first time he felt nostalgic in life. And I totally get it because MTV was talking about the Beastie Boys making this comeback album. And it felt like they hadn't put out an album in 20 years. And I remember they showed an icon of the album cover. And the first thing that came to mind was this. Whoa, that kind of looks cool. Just just not hearing anything, just looking at the album artwork, I said, that looks cool. So then I remember going to the mall around this time, and everyone was wearing those Check Your Head t-shirts, you know, with the album image on front, and on the back it had the B's, T, Boys, and that giant bottle cap. And I remember seeing these shirts, and I remember seeing both the yellow and green version, and I said to myself, huh, that's cool. Like the way that they wrote Beastie Boys in that picture, that's pretty cool. So one Saturday night, my family went to church. I should say every Saturday night, my family went to church, and after church, we took a trip to the mall. So I don't know why we went to the mall on that particular Saturday night. You know, maybe my brothers needed a new pair of pants or a new pair of shoes. So we go to the mall and I make a beeline to the record store because that's what I would always do when I would go to the mall. So I went into the record store, not exactly knowing what I was going to get, but I was leaning in a certain direction. And I remember walking past a little display for the Beastie Boys Check Your Head. And I even remember pausing for a second. And it was almost like there was a hand from above pushing me towards this display. So I stopped. I looked at it. I said to myself, there it is again. That's such a cool picture. Huh. Beastie Boys. And for a second, for a millisecond, I thought about buying their new album, Check Your Head. But I didn't. 
So I continued walking. I went to the rap section. A lot of you may remember in the early 90s, we didn't use the word hip hop a lot. We used the word rap. So I'm in the rap section and I decide on an album. I'm embarrassed to say it was not Check Your Head. So I give it to the cashier, pay my $10, pop it into my Walkman, and I have my new album that I'm going to listen to for the next three or four weeks straight. Like I said, it was not Check Your Head. And this trip to the record store still haunts me because do you know what I bought instead of Check Your Head? Here goes. First time ever revealed on the brouhaha. At one point in my life, I was more excited to buy an album from Another Bad Creation. ABC. Yeah. I purchased Coolin at the Playground, you know, instead of Check Your Head. And that is my third dark Check Your Head secret. Beastie Universe. What do I say? Maybe I wasn't ready yet. But it was probably just a few weeks later, I would see So What You Want on MTV. And not to sound cheesy, but my life changed. Beastie Boys became my favorite band and I was obsessed with music. But as I just revealed, in the spring of 1992, I was less into Pass the Mic, which I had never heard of, by the way, and more into this song right here, Aisha. So with that, let us take a break. And when we come back on the 30th anniversary special of Check Your Head, we will go track by track through the greatest album of all time. Ladies and gentlemen, performing live one more time, the Beastie Boys, with the song that changed my life. Wow. Beat the technique. Yo, check this out. You're listening to the Blue Ha Ha. Oh, yeah. So what you want never gets old. We are back on the Brew Ha Ha celebrating 30 years of Check Your Head. And now it's time to go track by track. So obviously, we will start off with track number one, Jimmy James. So let me read from the booklet. Included in the Beastie Boys anthology, The Sounds of Science. This was written by Adam Yauch. There have been a couple of times in my life when I have been completely obsessed with Jimi Hendrix. This song was created during one of them. While we were recording Check Your Head, I was living in a log cabin in the Hollywood Hills. I had my MPC-60 in a turntable hooked up out in the shed. One night, I sampled this loop off of a Hendrix song called Birthday. 
Then I put that loop on top of a turtle's beat and began cutting up all of these ill Hendrix sounds over the loop. Then I put that loop on top of a turtle's beat and began cutting all these ill Hendrix sounds over the loops. The next day I went to G-Sun and Mario helped me refine the insanity. Unfortunately, we couldn't clear any of the sounds that were scratched into the song. Determined to keep it on the record, we went back into the studio, found other sounds that were similar, and remade the song so that we could keep it on the album. But it never seemed quite right. The song is really a tribute to Hendrix, so taking his guitar sounds off of it felt just plain wrong. A few months after Check Your Head came out, the Hendrix estate finally gave us clearance to use the sounds. We then decided to put the original version on a 12-inch to do a video for it. This is the OG version. So first, well, before I play you the OG version, let's play the opening sample. This next one is the first song on our new album. That is a literal sample because it is the first song on the Beastie Boys' new album. By the way, that was Cheap Trick from Live at Budokan. All right, so now let me play you the studio version of Jimmy James. So that is the version that appears on the album, and here is the original version of Jimmy James with all of those different Jimi Hendrix sounds. All right, here's what I don't get. Adam Yauch samples Birthday from Jimi Hendrix. Might as well play that for you right now. All right, so that is a Jimi Hendrix song, and then Yauk is scratching in all of those Jimi Hendrix sounds. So is that what the estate took exception with? Was the Jimi Hendrix estate like, yeah, you can use Birthday, but you can't use anything else. We don't want you scratching in his sounds. But what if, what if the estate didn't agree on the Birthday sample? Then you have no song. But like I just read, the estate gave the Beastie Boys the right to do everything after Check Your Head came out. Oh, and before we move on to the next song, how appropriate are the opening lyrics in this song? People, how you doing? It's a new day dawning. It's like, guess what, everyone? The Beastie Boys are back! Yeah. Always love the opening lines of Jimmy James. All right, on to track number two, Funky Boss. So if you listened to my So What You Want episode of the Brouhaha, I told you how the Beastie Boys used the Southside movements, I've been watching you as sort of the, the skeleton for So What You Want. They were thinking of sampling it, 
Then they played over it, and they're like, you know what? This is kind of ours, so we don't even need that anymore. So, like the Beastie Boys used a blueprint for So What You Want, they also used a blueprint for Funky Boss. Let me play you a little snippet of Showdown from Thin Lizzy so you hear what I mean. It's only a small little snippet, but somebody glommed onto that and said, hey, like, that would be a cool line for an entire song. So if you listen to the Beastie Boys Check Your Head audio commentary, which came out in 2009, MCA said he had a a weird beef with the lyrics. He said, we don't really have a boss. So if we don't have a boss, how could we have beef with our boss? Ad Rock said the song sucks, but then came around and said, eh, it's, it's a nice diddly. And then he said that he liked it by the end of the song. And Mike D said, Funky Boss was the Beastie Boys trying to be the Ohio players. So there you go. Funky Boss, which I did see performed live in my life. Yes, I'm happy to say that I heard Funky Boss performed live by the Beastie Boys. All right, so that brings us to track number three. The lead single off of Check Your Head, Pass the Mic. And I would like to introduce, what's up? I pass the mic to D for a fist full of two. The name is D, y'all. And I don't play, and I can rock a pop party. All right, time for Pass the Mic. This is an audio adventure. And this right here, this is proof that the Beastie Boys were taking notes when they were hanging out with the Dust Brothers. So let's start off with the the feedback at the beginning of the song. That is from the track Choir from James Newton. The bass break in Pass the Mic, that is from the Bad Brains Big Takeover. Take a listen. And how about this smooth bass line? Let me play you the past the mic version. And then let me play the original. So I read it somewhere in the last few weeks. I've been doing a lot of homework. I read that Mario C brought this bass line to the Beastie Boys. Once again, very Paul's Boutique-like. So this is, this is the genius of sampling. So let me play you Johnny Hammond's Big Sur Suite. The bass line courtesy of Ron Carter. So the Beastie Boys are listening... And then just that little bit, that little bit right there, they're like, hold up, let's sample that. That little snippet, so good. If I heard that song for the first time, I would have totally slept on that little snippet. 
the attention to detail gave us this great baseline. Well, Ron Carter gave us this great baseline, but you know, the Beastie Boys gave us a great sample of that baseline. And then a lot of you 90s kids may remember that in December of 1992, Dr. Dre also gave us this baseline on Nephew with a Gun. Come to mind Why your motherfucking brother is hard to find He's been walking on the streets and fucking with mine Stupid punk can't fuck with a mastermind So I need to know Check Your Head comes out April 1992 Dr. Dre's The Chronic comes out in December of 1992 Did Dr. Dre lift that from the Beastie Boys? Or was Dr. Dre thinking like Mario C? He heard Big Sir Sweet He's like, ooh that's a good baseline. I'm going to use it. I don't know. But if you are keeping score at home, we hear this on Check Your Head in April. We hear it again later in December from Dr. Dre. So the Beastie Boys were first. This was also the song where the Beastie Boys were inspired by John Bonham. You may remember that they sample John Bonham on License to Ill. Now they're trying to play like John Bonham on Check Your Head. So they set up Mike D's drum kit in the middle of the floor, wrap a big refrigerator box around the kick drum to give it that big sound. And oh, did you know, this was the first hip-hop song recorded for Check Your Head. All right, on to track number four, Gratitude. So for those that don't know, when the Beastie Boys were done touring for License to Ill, Adam Yauch joins the band Brooklyn. And if you flip around the back of Check Your Head, you'll see that Tom Cushman is given credit for this song. However, I also heard a story, maybe Tom Cushman wrote the song, but I heard a story that when Adam Yauch was starting to play the bass as a teenager, he would play this bass line. Like, this was one of his warm-up bass lines. I don't know how true that is, but in the 80s, he's in the band Brooklyn, and they have a song called, I Don't Know, and then in parentheses, Ask for Gratitude. Here, I'll play it for you. So different from what we know as Gratitude, with Ad-Rock singing on it. So we all know that MCA loves fuzzy, wet, and distorted bass. Just to confirm, let's go to the Beastie Boys book. In the chapter, Yauk Mixtape, Mike D writes about the song, By the Time I Get to Arizona, from Public Enemy. So he writes... Yauk couldn't believe someone other than us had made a rap song over a crazy fuzz bass line. It merged one of his favorite rappers of all time with his favorite instrument of all time, epic fuzz bass. We were also alternately inspired and super depressed by P.E.'s It Takes a Nation of Millions, which Yauk played on the booming system in his Cadillac Fleetwood Brougham de Elegance. Because it made us question whether what we were making was even worthwhile. Quote, 
Damn, they did it. We will never make something this good, unquote. So my question is, is the distortion on this space inspired by the Public Enemy song by the time I get to Arizona? Let's go to the tape. I don't know. But Yauk takes that old Brooklyn bass line, or maybe that bass line from his youth, fuzzes it up, and hands it off to Ad-Rock. And I forget where I read this. I don't know if it's in the Beastie Boys book. Maybe it's in a Rolling Stone article. The Beastie Boys have gratitude. They don't know what to do with it lyric-wise. They hand it off to Ad-Rock. MCA listens to it, and he's like, whoa, good job, kid. And Ad-Rock took pride in the fact that he took the ball and ran with it on gratitude. Am I misremembering that? Anyone else remember that story, hear that story? So that is gratitude, and like I've said many times on this podcast, a underrated music video. One of the few Beastie Boys music videos that highlights them on instruments. Now we move on to track number five, Lighten Up. So as I told you earlier, when I borrowed Check Your Head from Tom Apt, I did not dub Lighten Up. And I'm looking through my notes here. I don't have a lot on Lighten Up. I don't think there's any samples on it. When the Beastie Boys gave their commentary in 2009, they said it took a lot of takes to record. Years later, unlike me in my rebellious teenage years, I do like to vibe out to Lighten Up. All right, let's move on to track number six, Finger Looking Good. Tell me if you're in the same boat with me. When Check Your Head comes out, this is one of my favorite songs. And years later, I still like it. But I don't know if it's one of my favorites. Like in 92, if you told me to rank my favorite Check Your Head tracks, Finger Looking Good may be number two. If you ask me that same question today, Finger Looking Good may be number 12 or 13. So let's go through the samples. Once again, because the Beastie Boys were hanging out with the Dust Brothers and Matt Dyke and Mario C, they have turned into sampling savants. They hear the baseline breakout from Johnny Hammond. They decide we'll use a little bit of that. They hear the beginning of Let the Sunshine In Aquarius from the Fifth Dimension and decide to sample the flute. And seamlessly, I love the way they drop this into the song. And I I don't know if you would call it a sample, because they just take a snippet and then they splash it into the song. Here is Just Like Tom Thumb's Blues from Bob Dylan. I'm going back to New York City, I do believe I've had enough. Put it all together. And you get track number six on Check Your Head, Finger Licking Good. Finger licking, finger licking good, dog. Finger licking, I'm finger licking good, dog. It's finger licking, 
It's finger licking good job. It's finger licking. It's finger licking good job. This and so what you want were the last cuts for check your head. So imagine check your head without this or so what you want. They thought they might have had the album done. They listened to it and they're like, no, it's not complete just yet. All right, now I'm going to put on my critics cap. Don't hate me for this. So like I said, I liked Finger Lickin' Good better in 1992 than I do now. I love Skills to Pay the Bills. Not only a B-side from Check Your Head, but we had a, a poll years ago and we decided that Skills to Pay the Bills is the best Beastie Boys B-side ever. So what if... And I think about this from time to time. What if Finger Lickin' Good was a B-side and Skills to Pay the Bills may check your head? Would that make check your head even better? So real quick, let me just read you the blurb in the Sounds of Science booklet. Skills to Pay the Bills. This is written by Ad-Rock. I like this song because Mike's playing the drums and Yauk's playing the bass. It's kind of got that old-school live band flavor. This was a B-side for a single off Check Your Head. At the time, we were always at G-Sun making music, playing basketball, and trying to get free bread from across the street. The name Skills to Pay the Bills was originally the name of a Pass the Mic remix, but we liked the name so much that we decided to make a song out of it. So here's my question. When did Skills to Pay the Bills come out? Was it before Finger Licking Good or So What You Want? Or did they make it after Check Your Head comes out? It seems like it would have been done, especially if they're remixing Past the Mic, which was the lead single. So just something to think about. What if Skills to Pay the Bills made Check Your Head instead of Finger Licking Good? I mean, this is where Skills to Pay the Bills would fit into Check Your Head, right? I've, I've given this a lot of thought, and the only way it works is if you swap it out for Finger Licking Good. Does it make the greatest album of all time even better? There, there is no answer today on the 30th anniversary special of Check Your Head. Just something to think about. All right, so we move on to track number seven. My favorite song of all time, So What You Want. And I don't really need to break this song down again. I dedicated an entire episode of the brouhaha to So What You Want. We deconstructed this song to death. And then years later, I deconstructed it again on my SiriusXM podcast, Unboxing the 90s. We'll go through the basics in case you're listening for the very first time. As I said earlier, the Beastie Boys were listening to those old funk and soul albums. They're listening to Southside Movement's I've Been Watching You. Now, maybe a, a quick correction on my research from the So What You Want episode. I played you this version of the Southside Movement's I've Been Watching You. Unbeknownst to me, when I was recording that So What You Want episode, in the 70s, a few years after that song was released, Southside Movement redoes the song 
and add some fuzz to it. So I'm thinking now, now that I've heard this song, this was probably what the Beastie Boys were using as a blueprint for So What You Want. Now, the original has the dunk, the dunk, but this has the distortion, and I'm assuming Ad-Rock got his guitar line from this part right here. So there you go. That is the blueprint for So What You Want. I've been watching you from the Southside Movement off their 1975 album, Moving South. So once again, if you want to dig deeper on this song, listen to the So What You Want brouhaha episode. However, before we move on to track number eight, I do want to give a quick theory. All right? So Check Your Head comes out April 21st, 1992. Which means, and I confirmed this with Hesta Prin, formerly of Northern State. I said, Hesta... When does a band turn in their album? Like, how late can they turn it in before the release date? That makes sense. And she said three months. So Check Your Head comes out April 21st, which means if the Beastie Boys are following this schedule, they can turn it into Capitol on January 21st. And if So What You Want was one of the last songs for Check Your Head, maybe it was, what, created in... October, November, December of 91, maybe as late as January of 92. So put yourself in that time frame, late 91, early 92. And before I go into my theory, let me just break down the the timeline for you. I heard So What You Want in 1992. And then later that year, I remember hearing Shut Him Down from Public Enemy. And when I heard Shut Him Down for the very first time, I thought, this kind of has like some So What You Want vibes. And then later that year, even though the song was released the previous year, I heard Give It Away from the Red Hot Chili Peppers for the very first time. Give it away, give it away, give it away now. Give it away, give it away, give it away now. Give it away, give it away, give it away now. And when I heard that song, I was also filled with So What You Want vibes. I don't know why, but I just was. All right, so that's my personal timeline. Now let's go to the real timeline. September 4th, 1991, Red Hot Chili Peppers released the single, Give It Away. In 1991, Public Enemy puts out the album, Apocalypse 91, The Enemy Strikes Black, and in January of 1992, Shut Em Down is the fourth single from that album. So imagine the Beastie Boys piecing together this last-minute song for Check Your Head. So I've always wondered, where did the phrase, So What You Want, come from? Isn't it such a cool title? Just flows off your tongue. So what you want, you what you want. So I think, this is me just spitballing here. So the Beastie Boys are using the Southside movements. I've been watching you as the blueprint. So maybe watch get stuck into the Beastie Boys' heads. And because 
the Beastie Boys are fans of Public Enemy, maybe they automatically think of this song right here, She Watched Channel Zero from Public Enemy. Looking for that hero. She watched Channel Zero. So right now, as the Beastie Boys are trying to come up with the hook, they got what you what you what you what you what all right all right you, you, you following me here so around this time you've got songs like give it away and shut them down playing on alternative radio and hip-hop radio which the beastie boys were probably listening to around that time so let me just experiment for a second so i'm gonna play the so what you want instrumental and then i will sing it with the red hot chili peppers give it away hook Give it away, give it away, give it away now. Give it away, give it away, give it away now. Give it away, give it away, give it away now. Oh, yeah. Hmm? Right? Am I crazy? All right, so let's do it again with Shut Em Down. Shut Em Down, Shut Em, Shut Em Down. Shut Em Down, Shut Em, Shut Em Down. Shut Em Down, Shut Em, Shut Em Down. Shut him down! So is it crazy to think that because Give It Away and Shut Him Down were so ubiquitous in the Beastie Boys world in late 91, early 92, that those two songs helped inspire the flow of the hook for So What You Want? I don't know the answer to that, but since this is my podcast, I'm saying the answer is yes. And maybe the Beastie Boys don't even know the answer. Because you know when they have those copyright cases and they say, if you had access to the song, there's a good chance it could have sunk into your subconscious. So the Beastie Boys definitely had access to give it away and shut them down. And we know they already had access to I've Been Watching You, and they also had access to She Watched Channel Zero off the Public Enemy album, It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back. There you go. I've given you an entire episode on So What You Want, and now I've given you an additional hypothesis. So that brings us to the next song on Check Your Head, track number eight, The Biz versus The Nuge. Oh, how I wish I could have been a fly on the wall when all this goes down. First of all, how did the Beastie Boys sync up with Biz Marquis? Does anybody know? He randomly teams up with the Beastie Boys on Check Your Head, and then he appears on Ill Communication. We hear him again on Hello Nasty. He is sampled on To The Five Burrows. He's kind of like an unofficial member of the Beastie Boys. But how did this happen? Did he meet Mike D first? MCA? Ad-Rock? I would love to know. Anyway, let me read once again from the Sounds of Science booklet, this story provided by Mike D. He writes, This one was perhaps the quickest song done on the Check Your Head album, although nothing with the biz is ever that simple. I remember picking the biz up at his hotel and listening to an advanced copy of A Tribe Called Quest's Low End Theory, which mysteriously disappeared from my car that same night. 
Biz later came clean and told me, if you can't find it, I've probably got it. (laughs) He stopped at my house for a while to look around through records. After looking through the Billy Joel, Paul Simon, and James Brown sections, the Biz pulled out a copy of Ted Nugent's Cat Scratch Fever album and said, yo, could we bring this down to the studio? I've got something I want to do over this joint. After arriving at G-Sun, the Biz asked if there was a candy store near the studio. A sack of candy was brought over from across the street. Then he put the Nugent record on, and two takes later, it was done. The Biz then spent the rest of this evening making a mixtape for his flight back to New York, including singles by Billy Joel, Paul Simon, and Helen Reddy. So let's recreate the situation. Biz gets the record from Mike D's house. And takes it to G-Sun. Plops it on the turntable. And this, this is what he plays. So this is where I would love to be a fly on the wall. Because what expressions are on the faces of the Beastie Boys? So he puts on Ted Nugent which is random enough, and then the biz starts singing this. The Beatsy Boys, they coming home, they coming home, oh, they coming home. And help me out with this one, another question for you. Why does this song sound so good in front of any punk rock song? Because you know the next song on the album, Time for Living. But I've seen the Beastie Boys in concert start with the Biz versus the Nuge, and then they go into Heart Attack Man. I don't know the answer, but it's a beautiful thing. So the Biz versus the Nuge, like I just said, leads in perfectly to track number nine, Time for Living. And I don't even know what this song would be considered. It's either the world's oddest cover song or it's one of the world's first mashups. Because, you know, remember in the early 2000s, mashups were huge. You could take any two songs, piece them together. So this is the song Feel Like a King from New York City hardcore band Frontline. So let me play you their song. So I think the story goes that someone from Frontline showed Adam Yauch the riff to this song or the instrumentation to this song. So the Beastie Boys are jamming out on Feel Like a King from Frontline and G-Sun. And then Mike D yanks a Sly and the Family Stone record off the shelf, Small Talk, which features the song Time for Living. So let me play you that song. Time 
<laughs> I mean, it sounds nothing like the Beastie Boys, Time for Living. But Mike needed lyrics. He needed a placeholder. So he starts singing the lyrics for Time for Living on top of Front Lines, Feel Like a King. You following me? And the story goes that Mike D is on a handheld vocal mic in the control room, just jumping off the couch and losing his mind. So the Beastie Boys record this song. And as is the case with many a demo, you get so used to it and you really can't change anything. Because I believe, and I may be wrong because I am not a Beastie Boy. I am just a fan. But I believe the Beastie Boys were going to put other lyrics on top of it. And then they kept listening to the song and they're like, no, it's, it's got to be that. And remember... Remember, Check Your Head didn't come with lyrics. Remember, we had to send away for them. And I remember getting the little pamphlet back, and I was so confused why there weren't lyrics for this. I think it just said, time for living, and then in parentheses, frontline. And I'm guessing that the Beastie Boys didn't print the lyrics because those lyrics weren't theirs. They were Sly and the Family Stone's lyrics. And the music provided by frontline. So there you go, a very random, odd, and awesome cover song and or mashup. And that brings us to the last song on side one of Check Your Head. Because I got it on tape, so this ended side one. And I don't have the cassette in front of me. I'm trying to remember, was it side one or side A? I'll have to check. But this song closes out the first half of Check Your Head. Something's Gotta Give. And let me once again read from the Sounds of Science booklet. This excerpt is written by Ad-Rock. Something's Gotta Give is one of my all-time favorites because of all the elements inside. Mixing live music with samples of our live music, live vocals with samples of our vocals, the lyrics and their sentiment, and the fucked up bass. The music came from a tape of us jamming, although I hate saying that word out loud, at Cole Practice Bass. Maybe six months later, we were listening back to a bunch of tapes and found this stuff. We looped like 10 bars of music on Mike Sampler and put them in a song arrangement. Yauk wrote some lyrics and me, Adam, Mike, and Mark sang them. Mario went in the other room with a cassette of the music and sang the fucked up high pitch sound on a four track. And then we looped that. There's no hidden message behind the lyrics. They're pretty direct. To me, this song just sounds funky. And I really like that the main instrument making the music is a DX7. As a little footnote, the quote-unquote smile with laughing I found in 1989 or so. I was in this predominantly white mall in LA or Texas, and in this crowded camera store, there was this thing called the smile machine or something like that. I pushed the little button and the batteries were all dead, so it came out like the devil making fun of all of us in the mall. It just stuck with me like the Just Say No campaign. With how deep in America racism is, the image of the smile machine in the white mall fit nice in this song. There you go. Something's gotta give. And something I've wondered, and it almost sounds like a bad dad joke, but in the middle of the song, the Beastie Boys clearly state that the song is called Rectify. 
So if it's called Rectify, why is it called Something's Gotta Give? Once again, sounds like a bad dad joke, but was the working title Rectify? And you know, because MCA sings, Something's Gotta Give a couple of times, and it kind of feels like a chorus, maybe it makes more sense to call the song Something's Gotta Give instead of Rectify? Something to think about as we end side one of Check Your Head. So like we did in 92, let's hit eject. Now I know some of you had those fancy tape players where it just played on the other side. I did not have that. So let's hit stop, eject, flip over the tape. While we do that, we'll take a break. And when we come back on the brouhaha, we will listen to side two. Rear. So when I listened to it again, like I was listening to it, I said, yo. I can act like they coming back home from space or something. Coming back to do a show. So when I did it, they coming home, right? And after that, I said, y'all gotta call y'all. And your phone kept being busy. Called you, your phone kept being busy. So I kept calling down. Finally got y'all on the phone. Y'all understand? It's something that comes up. It just happens. Like I made the greatest trade of all time. I traded. Barbara Streisand, Star is born out. It's you don't got a beat on it, right? Yeah, well, that's an easy record. It's simple. I'm thinking of the Mendel record. Right? Reboot! Ha-ha! We are back on the Brew Haha. This is the Check Your Head 30th anniversary special. So during that little break, I ran and I got my Check Your Head tape. I was completely wrong. It's not side one or side A. It's program one. And then you flip it over, program two. Our evening began in Peter Seychelles comfortable study in his New York townhouse, where the candlelight was just right, the hi-fi was in the background, and the wine was delicious. So program two starts with The Blue Nun. A song, I don't know if you call it a song, a track that I have put on many a mixtape. And when I first started listening to Check Your Head, I thought that it was part of Stand Together. So I thought Stand Together was actually called The Blue Nun. And then I finally pieced it together. I was like, oh, Blue Nun's like its own thing. And then Stand Together happens. Now, I could tell you the story behind The Blue Nun. But why not let Peter Sechel tell you the story about the Blue Nun? I made a uh, record with Columbia Records about 30 years ago. And it was a record explaining to a young couple uh, how to use wine, how to select wine, how to drink wine. And one day I get a call from the managers of the Beastie Boys saying, can we use an excerpt out of that record for the Beastie Boys to use in one of their songs? And I said, how did you come to this? And they said, they heard the record at your daughter's apartment. And I checked, and one of my daughters was a friend of one of the Beastie Boys. And I think I got more famous through that 
Beastie Boy thing than anything else I've ever done. Delicious again, Peter. And I also want to shout out the Beastie Boys for using this sample. Because not only do you have the Peter Seychelles recording, but this sample, I think, is perfect because it gives off the vibe and ambience of a dinner party. Here is the song Hector from The Village Callers. And the reason, the reason Check Your Head is such a great album, first of all, it's made like a mixtape, which gives the Beastie Boys a million brownie points in my book. But everything flows so seamlessly. Like the biz versus the nuge is the perfect intro for Time for Living, in the same way that the Blue Nun is the perfect intro for this song right here, Stand Together. So as we previously discussed, Money Mark Nishida, not only working on the Beastie Boys' new studio album, he's also working on the Beastie Boys' new studio. So he's always carrying with him a screw gun. So MCA hears that screw gun so much, he decides to sample it. And he samples it a ton in this song, so much so that the working title for Stand Together was actually Screw Gun. Now, the song doesn't happen without this beautiful sample. Slivadiv from the British jazz rock trio Backdoor. And then MCA also samples Be Black Baby from Grady Tate. And let me read from the Beastie Boys book. Ad-Rock writes about the story. He says, Yauk recorded his guitar playing, knowing that he wanted to terminate it after it was recorded. He wanted to have the end result become this new and fragmented recreation of what once was, a chopped up cyborg of the original. Although it took hours and hours to record, it was like watching someone who loves to play video games play video games the end result sounds amazing to me. And it was all for the common cause of experimentation. Yauk's big idea for this one was, I want to make a rap song with a crazy terminated fuzz guitar that has super positive lyrics. Something about like, stand together. Okay, let's do it. Oh, and before we move on to the next song, am I misremembering this? So in college... I felt like 80% of the students in my dorm owned a copy of Check Your Head. And there was this one guy who owned Check Your Head, and I swear that his version of Stand Together was all instrumental. Did anyone else experience that, or is that just me? Like, on my copy of Check Your Head, 
I had lyrics, but on the CD version of his copy of Check Your Head, Stand Together had no lyrics, all instrumental. I don't know. All right, let's move on to track number 13, Pow. Now, for those of you who attended Lollapalooza 1994, you may remember that Hurricane actually had lyrics to Pow, but on the studio version of Pow, only one lyric, one word, Pow. And my good friend, Prof D, rest in power, rest in peace, we would always have a yearly karaoke party for my wife's birthday, and one year, Prof D decided to do Pow. Now, this karaoke party wasn't casual. It was an actual competition with judges and different rounds. So everyone took it seriously. So this was a roll of the dice for Prof D. He knew that this was hit or miss. The judges would either give him all tens or give him all fours and fives. I think he got sixes. Because, you know, the music's playing. Let, Let me play it for you right now. So the music's playing. Prof D's just sitting there. I'm in on the joke. I love it, by the way. Everyone else is like, why aren't you singing? He waits, he waits, he waits. And right here, yes, he sings Pow. Easy to remember karaoke song, but the judges did not score him high. So whenever I hear Pow, I think of Prof D and his genius, his genius karaoke performance. All right, let's move on to track number 14, The Maestro, which begins with a sample of a voice message, once again, tying Paul's Boutique to check your head. Because you may remember on Paul's Boutique, there's that little commercial for Paul's Boutique. The best in men's clothing. Call Paul's Boutique at Genesis. The number is 718-498-1043. That's Paul's Boutique, and they're in Brooklyn. So after the album comes out, MCA obtains that phone number. I don't know how you obtain a phone number. I don't know how much money it is. But he gets the phone number, and he has it rerouted to the basement of his parents' house, where it's connected to an answering machine. Well, Paul, you can kiss my... You know what? Let me let the Beastie Boys tell the story. So this guy, Alan, had left some messages, and we called him back as Paul and kind of, like, got into a bit of an argument with him. So he was calling back to say, like, Yo, Paul, (laughs) fuck about you anyway. So that's basically what that message was. I kind of remember making a few calls to people and be like, Hey, hi, it's Paul. (laughs) I got your message. That's great. Oh. Yeah, good shit. And then uh, I remember on the Check Your Head tour, at some point in the Midwest, we met Alan for the first time. Yes, we did. And we, we, and we tried That's to have right. him That's recreate right. his uh, oh, yeah, on stage live yeah. on stage. But he was so. sincerely mad. When he left that message, we had definitely driven him to the brink. And he was, oh, he but was, he was, he was cool. And then we did. We hung out with him a couple of times. And I love that they connect with Alan, meet up with him on tour, and try to recreate that. How cool is that? So the song is called The Maestro, named after the guitar effects box. 
which makes the guitar sound like such a deep bass. Listen. Such a good one. I love the Maestro because it's unlike any other Beastie Boys song. Like you can categorize the instrumentals and the hip hop songs and the punk songs, but where would you put that one? <sighs> love it. All right, so we go from track number 14 into track number 15, Groove Homes. A tip of the cap to Groove Homes. So once again, this is the Beastie Boys trying to mimic stuff they like. So here is the Beastie Boys Groove Homes. And then let's listen to an actual Groove Homes song. So here is Misty from Groove Homes. There you go. Shout out to Richard Groove Holmes. So Groove Holmes gives way to track number 16, Live at PJ's. This is a reference to an old club in West Hollywood called PJ's, where multiple music acts recorded live albums. For example, in 1971, Cool and the Gang put out Live at PJ's. So this was the Beastie Boys version of that. No, it wasn't recorded live, but it was made to sound like it was recorded live at PJ's. It's nice to see all you guys back here. All you guys. All right, we're going to put this one up now. We're going to get into it now. Quick question about this song. This was always a, a bit of a head-scratcher for me. In November of 1992, the Beastie Boys performed this song on Late Night with David Letterman. Why live at PJ's? Now, pass the mic and so what you want. Those were released earlier in the year. But why not do Jimmy James or do their latest single, which was released just in October, Gratitude? Here's why I think the Beastie Boys decided to do Live at PJ's. Because I've given this a lot of thought. I've, I've given this three decades of thought. So the Beastie Boys know that there is an accomplished house band in the studio, led by Paul Schaefer. So they probably wanted to do a collaboration with them. So they look down the track listing of Check Your Head, and they probably say to themselves, we have to do one that we sing on? Because it would make sense for the Beastie Boys in the late night band to do Groove Holmes. But then you don't get to hear the Beastie Boys. So you want a song that shows off the Beastie Boys energy, one where they sing live, and one that features instruments so they can tag team with the late night band. And going through all of those criteria and rationale, gratitude doesn't necessarily fit because you don't need the whole band for that. You just need MCA's fuzz bass. So they probably looked down the track listing and said, you know what? Live at PJ's makes the most sense. 
<laughs> so there you go. I asked you a question, and then I just answered it myself. So that's why I think they played Live at PJ's on Late Night with David Letterman. Up next, track number 17, Mark on the Bus. So let us once more read from the book of Beastie. Not the booklet, the book, Beastie Boys book. Ad-Rock writes this. Mark on the bus. Here we go. We were still getting to know Mark Nishida, and I guess he was going through a transitional phase during this time. He briefly went by the moniker Keyboard Liquor Mark, Always Drinking Wine. We met practically every night at the studio, and unbeknownst to us, he sometimes spent the night there on the couch. His drive back to Gardena was a long one, especially at 3.26 a.m. and two bottles of wine deep. He'd do the safe thing and just crash on the couch. Anyways, Mark was the best musician out of the four of us. We'd never played with a piano player before, and something about that instrument made things sound a little more like real music. And when he broke out his clavinet, he was on some Stevie Wonder shit. Also, Mark is the only one of us who could actually sing a song without sounding like a toddler. We showed up at the studio one night, and Mark played us a song that he'd recorded the night before after we'd all gone home. He must have done it at like four in the morning. He had recorded all the instruments and vocals all by himself, drunk as a skunk. Even though he wrote and recorded everything, and we had pretty much nothing to do with it, it's one of my favorite songs we've ever made. can sing this song word for word, right? It's so catchy. And I almost wish it was longer, but then I think to myself, no, 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 this is just like a a perfect little ditty. And then you've got the samples on top of it. You've got the Wild sample. That's from the heavy metal band Venom. Yeah, not men coming to the States without doing any gigs. So we said, fuck you, man. We got to get out here and do some gigs. You're wild, man. Wild. How did the Beastie Boys come across this? Because that's stage banter from a show that Venom played at City Gardens in Trenton, New Jersey in 1986. So leave it to the Beastie Boys to sample a piece of stage banter that I recite on cue years later whenever I hear the word wild. Wild, man. Wild. And I love. The callback to Venom on Hello Nasty. Do you know where I'm going with this? On dedication, Mike D shouts out Newcastle, where Venom is from. This one's for Newcastle, where Venom come from. So Venom gets sampled on one Beastie Boys album and shouted out on another. Now Mark on the Bus also has the Wild Style sample. 
Now, I heard Check Your Head long before I ever saw Wild Style. So it was cool watching Wild Style for the first time because when you hear that line, she paint three of those murals for some of that ass. You're like, well, that, that's where the Beastie Boys got it from. And then the song closes with this sample. You're stupid. Huh? You should sleep late, man. It's just much easier on your constitution. Perfect, right? I think that's Bill Murray. That sample was taken from the skit Mr. Roberts Number 1 from National Lampoon's That's Not Funny, That's Sick, which came out in 1977. What time do you usually get up? I usually get up when the sun is warm, like 1.30, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I like to get up around 6.30. That's insane. You're stupid. Huh? You should sleep late, man. It's just much easier on your constitution. What's there not to love about this song? It's a, it's a mini masterpiece. Just a few samples, the simple song from Mark Nishida, easy to sing along to, perfect, perfect. And that brings us to track number 18, another one of my favorites, Professor Booty. All right, let me read from the Book of Beastie once more. There's nothing outrageously remarkable about this song. I would disagree, Ed Rock. Uh, we just looped a beat and wrote lyrics. We switched back and forth with our rhymes so often that we wanted to each take a verse for a change. It's dumb and funny and the music is funky. What else do you want? But on a side note, we played a festival in the late 90s, somewhere in the world, and this older gentleman approached me and asked if I was in the Beastie Boys. I said, yes, why? He said that he wanted to thank me. For what? He said that we sampled his music and that he actually got paid for it. He said that his music had been sampled a bunch of times and he rarely received clearance or payment. Of course I asked, who are you? And he said, I'm Willie Henderson. I knew right away who he was. We sampled his song, Loose Booty, for this song, Professor Booty, and I was like, oh shit, no way, oh man, come on, thank you. Let's play the sample. Professor, what's another word for pirate treasure? Well, I think it's booty. That's what it is. She's doing a dance, yeah. She's doing a loose And there, there's a bunch of other samples also going on in this song. The love panting comes from Let Your Love Light Shine from Buddy Miles. The drum part from the beginning of the song is from Jimmy Smith's I'm Gonna Love You Just a Little More, Babe. The bass line comes from Freddie Hubbard's Uncle Albert, Admiral Halsey. And the stripped down bongos comes from the beginning of the song, The Easiest Way to Fall from Free to Pain. The easiest way to fall. So even though it comes off as this stripped-down track, 
There's a lot going on in Professor Booty, and we should probably talk about the beef that Third Base had with the Beastie Boys. Professor Booty is kind of like a response track to Third Base's Sons of Third Base. Let me break it down for you. MC Search, I'm assuming mid to late 1980s, visits Russell Simmons. Russell says, hey, you you know what? You should meet with Mike D. So MC Search goes to Mike D's apartment. Mike D and the captain are hanging out in the Beastie Boys book. Mike says, unfortunately for Search, he happened to buzz our door after we'd been out all night on a bit of a psychedelic bender. So Mike D is in no shape to give advice, and he just starts throwing things at MC Search. This is what he writes in the book. No disrespect to Search or his music. As I remember it, we dragged our asses out of bed and opened the window to see who it was. Instead of telling him not to come back or even saying hello, we just started throwing shit at him and laughing. I can't remember exactly what we threw, It wasn't like water balloons or an Acme Anvil, but it wasn't cool. Maybe trash or my plastic Mr. T piggy bank. So Search is mad. So third base is eventually signed by Def Jam. Keep in mind, Beastie Boys leave Def Jam. And in 1989, third base puts out their debut album, The Cactus Album, also known as the Cactus CD and the Cactus Cassette. And on it is the track Sons of Third Base, a diss aimed directly at the Beastie Boys. So I was thinking about this. Not many people have dissed the Beastie Boys. I mean, off the top of my head, I I can think of third base. You may remember that Cool Modi put out the rapper's report card, giving a whole bunch of different rappers A's and B's and C's. Beastie Boys got scored the lowest, although he did give them an A for sticking to themes. And the Beastie Boys, if you think about it, kind of did respond in 1998 with Intergalactic when Mike D rhymes this line. You know, just the fact that Mike D brings it up shows that he didn't forget about it. And if you listen to Intergalactic, even though the music video is kind of goofy and silly, there's a statement made by the Beastie Boys. If you want to battle your in denial, coming from Uranus to check my style... Go ahead, put my rhymes on trial, cast you off into exile. Think about it. 1998, Beastie Boys still selling out arenas, able to headline music festivals. Where are their old school hip hop peers? So that's the Beastie Boys responding to Cool Mo D. Then in 1999, and once again, I'm just going off the top of my head here, I remember the Insane Clown Posse Diss the Beastie Boys on the song Fuck the World. Fuck your mom, fuck your mom's mama. Fuck the Beastie Boys and the Dalai Lama. Fuck the rainforest, fuck a forest. And the story goes Insane Clown Posse around this time signed with Nasty Little Man. 
the same publicity firm that works with the Beastie Boys. And Nasty Little Man told ICP to change the lyrics of Fuck the World. And ICP said no. And not only that, they fired Nasty Little Man. The Beastie Boys, by the way, never responded to this diss. Nor should they, because you would give credence to the diss if you respond to the diss. I think you only respond to a diss if you feel threatened or if the hip-hop community pressures you into it. And there was no pressure for the Beastie Boys to respond to the insane clown posse. Small footnote, Celine Dion was also told to fuck off in this song, and Celine Dion also did not offer up a response track to ICP's Fuck the World. All right, anyway, I can only remember Kumo D, Third Base, and ICP dissing the Beastie Boys. And if you think about it, Third Base hit the Beastie Boys when they were down. It's 1989. We all know that the Beastie Boys leave Def Jam for Capital. All of that promise for their sophomore album, and then Paul's Boutique is considered a flop. And now Third Base is on Def Jam. Dissing the Beastie Boys, it had to sting. So then, on the Beastie Boys' next studio album, Check Your Head, they respond. On this track right here, Professor Booty. They save it for MCA's verse. And, oof, MCA, he goes off, goes off on MC Search. And he almost seems to enjoy it. Here's one of my favorite Beastie verses of all time, MCA on Professor Booty. So many whack MCs, you get the TV Bozak. Ain't even gonna call out your names cause you're so whack. For one big oaf who's bigger than plastic. A dictionary definition of the word spastic. You shouldn't ever start us up, you couldn't finish. Cause whack rhymes to me is like pop out of spinach. I'm badass, move your fat ass cause you're whack son. Dancing around like a think you're Janet Jackson. But you can walk up in and get some ground, I walk up on it. One more thing about this song, I have to acknowledge this lyric right here. I loved making mixtapes in the 1990s. It was one of my favorite things to do. And I would still do it if people actually listened to cassettes. So I love that Mike D shouts out the mixtape. Also happy that he doesn't call it a pause tape. Because you know from time to time the Beastie Boys call mixtapes pause tapes. I think mixtape sounds cooler. And this lyric is meta if you think about it. Because Check Your Head is crafted like a mixtape. So when Mike D raps, a good mixtape will put you in the right mood. He's not lying. Because Check Your Head 
30 years later, still puts me in the right mood. All right, that brings us to track number 19 in threes. All right, so I'm not a music teacher. I do play music. Everything I play is probably 4-4. So this is 3-4. So the 3-4 time signature is this. Boom, two, three. Boom, two, three. And that's what this song is. This song is literally in threes. And I like that it has a triple entendre. You like that? Not a double entendre, a triple entendre. So it's recorded in threes. So that's the first three. In life, things always happen in threes. And then there's three Beastie Boys. So I appreciate the title of this instrumental. And the only thing interesting that I can offer is that there are two sections of the song recorded separately, and then the Beastie Boys Frankenstein them together. So I will play you the point where they are Frankenstein. Here we go. And I believe it's right here. And that's all I can give you on In Threes. A nice little transition from Professor Booty to the closing track on the album. And that's where we'll go right now. Track number 20, the last song on Check Your Head, Namaste. And let me read from the Beastie Book one last time. This is written by Ad-Rock. He says, MCA would hang with anyone, so as long as they were fun. His demeanor had an odd, thrilling calmness. One night at the studio, he said that he had some thoughts that he'd written down, not lyrics, and he'd like to try saying them over an instrumental track that we had waiting for just this occasion. And like most of the songs on this record, we were like, um, okay, if you want to take the lead, go ahead. And so this song kind of tells where he was at and where he was headed. So I have grown to really appreciate this song. Once again, when I first got Check Your Head from Tom Apt, I did not dub this one. But this song... If not done by MCA, could have gone sideways. Think of the lyric. Dark is not the opposite of light. It's the absence of light. When MCA says it, it sounds cool. If you think of a variety of artists from 1992 who said that, could have been cheesy. MCA does it totally cool. So I want to end Check Your Head by giving you one more hypothesis. If you dig up some of the old reviews for Check Your Head, multiple writers said that this song was the Beastie Boys channeling their inner doors in Jim Morrison. And it makes sense because in 1991, the Doors movie comes out. And that was kind of everywhere. Everybody was talking about it. So here's my hypothesis. We know that the Beastie Boys like to joke around. And sometimes, I should say, a lot of times, we don't know that we're in on the joke. So when MCA pieced this song together, was he basically doing a goof on the doors? Just something to think about. I I think the answer is no, but with the Beastie Boys, you can never be 100% sure. So I leave you with this. Is Namaste 100% sincere 
Or is it ever so slightly, or maybe even wholeheartedly, tongue-in-cheek? Music and art are subjective, so I will leave that up to you. A cold chill of fear cut through me. I felt my heart contract. To my mind, I brought the image of light. Just a shadow And then a voice spoke in my head And she said Dark is not the opposite of light It's the absence of light And I thought to myself She knows what she's talking about And that's it. The album is over. An all-time great album. Not only my favorite Beastie Boys album of all time, but my favorite album of all time. Produced by Mario Caldado Jr. Earlier, I said that Money Mark was the special sauce for Check Your Head. Let's call Mario C. the super glue for Check Your Head. So before I end this episode, and I know it's a long one, so if you've made it this deep, thank you very much. But before I go, just a a few questions and some notes that I didn't get to when we were going track by track. So first of all, here's a question that I've always wondered. Uh, For this album, Mario C. gifts the Beastie Boys Sony Variety karaoke microphones, which makes vocals distorted which the Beastie Boys use on a handful of tracks on this album, including my favorite song of all time, So What You Want. Now, there are behind-the-scenes stories, and the Beastie Boys even confirm it on Hello Nasty when they say that Mario C. likes to keep it clean. He wanted to record the vocals clean. And the Beastie Boys said, no, 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 we'll just we'll record them distorted. He said, we can distort them after the fact. And they said, no, nah, we're good. We'll record them distorted now. So had Mario C. not given the Beastie Boys those Sony microphones, he could have kept it clean. So does he ever regret giving them those Sony Variety karaoke mics? I would think probably not, because after this album comes out, everybody wants distorted vocals like the Beastie Boys. Before we go, I also want to shout out the B-Sides, Drunken, Praying Mantis Style, Nettie's girl. That's a fun one. I wonder if that was ever in consideration to make the actual studio album. Drinking wine, skills to pay the bills, which I said earlier should have been on Check Your Head. Boom and Granny. and Granny makes Check Your Head. Does it make it even better? Love Boom and Granny. And then Honky Rink. The only time the Beastie Boys ever come close to a hockey reference in their music. Please clear the ice for the Zamboni. Thank you. Music video-wise, we get videos for Pass the Mic, So What You Want, Jimmy James, 
Gratitude, Time for Living. And then when the Beastie Boys put out the Sabotage VHS tape, we also get a video for Something's Gotta Give. Another another little story that I forgot to mention. When Glennie Friedman sends the Beastie Boys the pictures from their photo shoot, he does it via fax machine. And MCA likes the graininess of it so much that he uses the fax image for the front cover of the vinyl. Now, if you own the cassette version or the CD version of Check Your Head, then you get the crisp Glennie Friedman photographic image on the cover. However, when the Beastie Boys re-released Check Your Head in 2009, the remastered edition, if you look at the front cover, it's the fax version of the photograph. Grainier than the original. And they also use a different version of Hayes' font. We're digging deep in the weeds right now. So I should probably call it a day because I could go for another half hour. So happy 30th anniversary to Check Your Head, the ultimate Desert Island album. I'm sure you've been asked that question before. If you were banished off to an island and you could only bring one album with you to listen to for the rest of your life, what would it be? I always try to weasel my way out of the question. I always ask, well, hey, could I bring a mixtape? No. Can I, can I bring a, a compilation soundtrack? No. So if I had to bring one album, without question, it would be Check Your Head. Think about it. How many albums have this many genres on it? It's all over the place, but somehow it works. There's no reason why Bismarck Key singing over a Ted Nugent riff should work, but it does. And after Check Your Head comes out, and those who were alive in the 1990s, you can attest to this, after Check Your Head comes out, the rest of the music world chases it. And from 92 on, a large chunk of the music world is trying to make their own Check Your Head. So that will do it for me. Uh, Once again, if you would like to get a hold of me, if you have any good Check Your Head stories, and I would love to hear them, you can reach out to me on social media. I am at Jim Shear. Or you can email me at beastiepodcast at gmail.com. So thank you for listening. Until next time, my name is Jim Shear, and I will see Yens later. On a one, two, three note. Are you ready? One, two, one, two, three. Guarantee we bring the brew ha ha. Prof actually stands for professor, and since this is a Beastie Boys podcast, I have to do it. Uh, professor, what's another okay. word for pirate treasure? Well, I think it's booty. <laughs> booty. <laughs> booty. Nice. That's what it is. <laughs>